how do I listen in such a way that Donald Trump becomes not an enemy, also a facet of the great oneness, making some offerings. Can I hear offering? And do I have to kill him in order for him not to destroy me? Packing for crazy town. Packing for crazy town. What I love about 2017 so far is how nobody has any idea what's coming next. So anyone who can stay balanced, stay conscious, stay positive, try not to self-medicate too much, this is your time. Anyone with a brain and a working heart and or children is active. If we're all knocking on this door, how much of what's on the other side of that door do we control? How much of it is we see the world as we are, not as it is? I do happen to believe that's true. I also believe that most bad behavior is a cry for help. I believe that things happen for a reason. My genuine hope for Packing for Crazy Town is that it will be what bentonite is to a detox. But instead of drawing out all the toxins, it's going to magnetize conversations about possibility. And so for really packing a go bag for Crazy Town, for the clown car pileup era of American history, we need to start with words. A new way of thinking about words. One that doesn't begin and end with. Our president is fucking bananas. Diane Connolly has a PhD in the philosophy of medicine. She's been an acupuncturist for almost 50 years. She co-founded the Thai Sophia Institute in Columbia, Maryland. She's written four books. One uh, is the tome on traditional acupuncture and five-element theory. All Sickness is Homesickness. Alive and Awake, which is a book for kids. And the book that I found when I went looking for her after 20 years realizing that she had to be the first guest on my unpacking for crazy town medicine words the language of love for the treatment room of life hello hello hi hi uh, how's that hi. water running sound now i don't hear water running don't Do hear my hear own and my voice either no. No. It is a miracle with technology that they give us the gift that usually we just have to turn everything <laughs> off and turn and, it back and on and start again. again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that seems we are like back. that's an important lesson. <laughs> it's it's a good it's like one to remember. Again. Yeah. Yes. Turn, turn everything off. Uh-huh. And go ahead, start again. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm asking you about your beautiful book, Medicine Words, that I found after going looking for you again after a couple of decades of, of being profoundly influenced by you. And I wanted to find out where you were, what you were up to, and I found this beautiful book, and I'm so grateful. And I, if, if I were really doing a, a service to my listeners, my, well, at, at the moment, zero listeners, but... If there's any of them, I would just turn this into an audible book and let you just read the book start to finish and let yeah. people listen to it. 
And yeah. since, since we're not doing that today, I'm just going to, let's just splash around and, and see what happens. <laughs> so back Good. to the Monsignor. Well, actually, maybe not, uh, because what I'm doing is kind of starting again, too. You know, like what you, you just did, turning everything off and starting again, because I'm looking for um, in my body that place of, okay, here I am. Here we are together, listener. Here we are together, speaker and listener. We're designing and creating right here, right now. It's not like it's a rehearsed anything or we must say certain things, but really, what matters to me? And yes, medicine words matter to me, language of love for the treatment room of life, because my life has given me experiences that say, okay, learn this, Diane, learn this, Connolly. So the first thing that I really wanted to say, are just I wanted to say some words that come from Rumi. Um, who was the Sufi poet, and Sufism is the mystical tradition of Islam. He died 800 years ago, and he's the most read poet in the world now. And so he, he, all of his poetry is about love. And he said, be a lamp, be a ladder, be a lifeboat. And I thought, wow. Right in those very few words, that's a direction for ways of being, ways of living life, practices. Be a lamp, shine light for folks. Be a ladder, help folks up. And be a lifeboat. Just remember, remind folks that we're in this together and it's about learning to live life and to cultivate ourselves in love. You, you're all about the word. You say, choose a word, create a world. With words, we open life or we close it, yeah. and what we say matters. Except it doesn't seem like right now that yeah. anyone is is really yeah. minding that, that store or thinking about our children or their children, children's children. I mean, how do we get, how do we start practicing that again? My first thought is we have to wake up. Wake, wake up that um, that it's all a gift to be here at all. And I don't know. I I'm I'm really at this moment, Sarah. I'm I'm, I'm thinking that we may not wake up that the seriousness, that life is serious, and um, we may go the way of the dinosaurs, us beings of the human sort, and to really think it's not a given that we will be here, we will continue to be here. And so, Let's say that that's so, well, we're not getting out alive, any one of us. So the question is, what am I giving my life for while I'm here with this holy breath? What am I, what's my life about? What's my curriculum? What medicine am I for you, for others, for the listeners? That is, how, can, how does my speaking and listening help us live? 
medicine is whatever helps us live until we're not here anymore, until the call comes and we have to go. And so, but it's not yet. I still have this holy breath. Life's not a finished action. It's not over yet. We're still here. And love is not a completed thought. It's not over yet. We're still here to make our offerings, to make our discourses, to speak about what what concerns we have and to house those concerns in the discourses of our life. I mean, the word Buddha, the actual word Buddha means the one who woke up. What Buddha woke up to are the same things you and I have to wake up to because we're bodied. And when Buddha left his father's kingdom, his father didn't want him to have to face what he had to face. He met, when he left his father's kingdom, he met a person who was aging, a person who was ill, and a corpse. Aging, illness, and death. How do we bear it? And how do we help each other bear it? How do we be friends for each other's life and death? And so, as we're waking up and realizing that um, we're here together, could be otherwise, one day it will be, but not yet. So, who are we for one another right here, right now? And given that we put sound on breath, this breath we've been given, and we put sound on this breath to make meaning, so what meaning am I making for the world? What meaning am I making for you? What conversation am I creating that's big enough for us to live in together? If we are going to live. All right, so let's talk about that. You say um, we need, especially now, to regard seriously and rigorously what needs to be spoken, what wants to be spoken, and what conversations are big enough for creation. Most people I know are not talking about you know a conversation that's big enough mm-hmm. big enough for what big enough so that there's a world for the children yes that would be nice but what about right here right now when you you wrote about you know you were writing this book and you you broke your wrist while you were writing this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if if you can get to a, a a place where that showed up as opportunity and possibility, then you can you can get us to a place where we're we're outside this this language of opposition that that is driving that is driving the national conversation right now. I mean, by the way, how did you? Remind me again, you broke your wrist, and somehow you spun that (laughs) to be a good thing. Do you remember that? How do you do do that? Well, well, I mean, it's kind of connected to what I just said about being bodied. Is that, um, you know, I've been doing this acupuncture for 48 years. What I know more than I've ever known before is, is that when I get a body squawk, it's a reminder that I have a body. And that it's going to be otherwise someday. I mean, if I have a headache, what's the first thing I can know? It's like, I've got a head. I'm here. And that it's not always going to be so. Many of the great traditions 
use death as a wisdom practice because if I remember death today and remember that I have this holy body that I've been given and it won't always be so, then I can really live life because there's no ho-hum about it. I'm not thinking that it's a an entitlement. I'm thinking, wow, what a gift. I have this holy breath. wonder which is first, my death or tomorrow. And so being in this body means that any squawk in the body is a reminding that I'm still here. It's sensation. Pain is sensation. It's our participation in being. What wakes me up to that? My forgetfulness in being is pain. Anything that's any squawky bit, I like using the word squawk because it could be any symptom that is a wake up call that says, You who? You're still here. Wow, you're still here. What are you going to do with that? Is being here. What will you design? What ways of being will you design between now and when you're not here anymore? I, I do remember. I do remember when we were together in the '90s, and you know, I was learning. I was learning this philosophy, and just the little things, just the the takeaways. There are so many little sayings, and one of them was, you know, when my son would come to me uh, with a squawk saying what's happening instead of what's wrong I mean just that alone was gave gave mm -hmm. all of us room to turn around mm -hmm. to that it didn't have to be a conclusion I think that's something that's that's would be really helpful for people to understand this this distinction between conclusion and phenomenon that you that you work with that you've embodied so you probably don't even think about it anymore but that'd be interesting to hear about well, just those two statements, what's wrong and what's happening. What's wrong begs for, begs for some conclusion about uh, something's wrong and needs to be fixed. Like, uh-oh. So life says, uh-oh, a fight. Uh-oh, kind of an antagonism. And the other side of that is what's happening is actually a tell me what's happening. What's the phenomenon? What did you notice? The who, what, when, and where. And... And then let's look together and see what the all is about that, the staying awake to the, oh, so, so we have a squawky bit. So let's see, let's see what we can make of that. What should we make out of that squawky bit? Should we fight it? <laughs> kill it? That's all the language. Well, that's, that's yeah. the language that we use, fighting and kill. I mean, you even hear people like, people who died and, and, they, and it, it said they lost their fight with cancer. No, they didn't. That they had a call that said they have to go now and they weren't losers they simply had to go and so will you when your call comes and so will I and nothing can keep us from that and so the what's happening is really looking to see so what is going on right here right now what's the what's the phenomenon what's the flesh the living bodied experience that I'm having right this moment and what am I saying about it? Well, what's happening? And I can say anything about it. You know, three people who do the same work were asked the question, what do you do? Same work. First one says, I lay bricks. And the second one says, I earn a living. And the third one says, I'm building a cathedral. Oh, I remember that. I love that. Yeah. And so it's three different, the same work, 
three different speakings about the same work. So I get to say something about the phenomenon. And whatever I say about it will determine how I am with it. Will determine whether I'm at peace. And what's <laughs> what's what's really funny to to me is that uh, right now, for example, it's quite cold outside, and people uh, that I was treating today, there were two in particular, were complaining about the cold. And then I said, in realizing that the cold doesn't care what you think about it. It's like it does. It's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't give us the snow. Doesn't give a soft white dam. Whom it falls on? It's just, it's here, here, here we are, <laughs> like, like having likes and dislikes. And it's like so what? You know how you feel about passing the salt doesn't matter to getting the salt passed. But right now you're you're and and this was back when I don't know you wrote this in early two thousands. Medicine words. So you said, yeah. I assert that today we are practiced in a vocabulary of opposition. Okay, fast forward 10 years yeah. and that we live in a language of reaction and conclusion, um, the vocabulary of antagonist yeah. and adversary, and that it does not allow for the possibility of yeah. oneness and friendship. That Sure. That is the main menu that we're being in the that we're being offered right now. Just in, if if we were to tune in to the collective conversation, the us versus them. I hear what you're saying. Tell me, remind me how to how to practice well, staying in the observer and speaking for the sake of, for example, the children's children's children. Keep talking because you're going to get me there. You're going to remind me, and you're going to wake some people up to the possibility that this is this is out there. This is within. This is free, and maybe it's not that hard. Well, what comes to mind as you're pondering, as we're having this thinkery together, is um. It it said that. The, 14 billion years ago, there was one big bang. And that we're simply unfolding that now. And this friend of ours, this high energy physicist, Hans Peter Dorr, from the Max Planck Institute in Munich, he said, That's crazy. He said, We're we're banging all the time. Each of us is banging. So here's Sarah, Sarah Ing, Diane Diane Ing. Donald Trump, Donald Trumping, each of us, Anthony, Anthony Ng, each of us is inging. We're bringing into being the holy particularity that is each of us, because we're not the same human being. We're unique, distinct from the from the great oneness, from the holy molecular soup, and yet each of us is this particularity. And so, you could say each of us has a curriculum. For, for the marketplace in being. And each is bringing into being some particular facet of the whole from the great oneness. And the question is, can we help each other bring into being what's our gift to bring into being? But see, so we're banging all the time. Everything that we're doing, every squawk we're having, every, every way that life is living us, each of us, it's like our face, Sarah. I'll never see my own face. You'll never see your own face, except by reflection. 
And so each of us is bringing into being, you could say, a face of life or a facet of the whole. And we're, we're banging it into being. We don't have a manual. We don't have, we're beginners in how to be, like beginner's mind and how to be today. This day in creation, February 27th, 2017, it hasn't happened. This is it. We're bringing it into being together. And you could say that this whole conversation is about ontological design, ontology being the study of being, where this ways of being that we're learning as beings of the human sort, presuming we're still going to be here through these next millennium. Well, okay. And who knows? Who knows? Um, this leads me to, you know, this, this portion. I mean, I love every single sentence in your book. This, this, this really drives home what you're saying. Even as I look outside and now it's hailing and this morning it was snowing and now the heat turned on and I'm being a beginner at yeah. this podcasting thing, but you said, you and I are the same human race as Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa. And then taking the Tao seriously, we are right. one. So how, okay, when, when a, a journalist says of Trump, the problem is, we don't know what he means when he says words. That that is no. that's an opportunity for us to laugh and throw rocks. But the truth is, my son's going to be a sophomore in college by the time whatever's done being done by whoever's in power. Yeah. You know, four years from now. Yeah. I am ready now yeah. to step back and for the sake and, and 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 to further a kinder. A kinder conversation so you know mm-hmm. this killer this you talk about killer narratives and triggered listenings I mean you wrote this 15 years ago or something that is that's what we have now can you what what does that even mean a killer narrative well we can do it with words with glances with guns or we conclude each other to death A conclusion versus the phenomenon, stepping back and saying, something's not wrong, something's happening. Mm-hmm. S- something is happening, and it's, and how it shows up in me is my choice. How you respond is your choice. How I respond is my choice. Yeah. There's a, there's a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And during the Holocaust, he was part of a conspiracy to kill Hitler. He was caught in the conspiracy just a few days before the end of the whole war. And he was put to death in prison, just just a few days short of the whole thing ending. And his book is called The Cost of Discipleship. Um, and I'm saying that because we are giving our life anyway and the choice that we have is what am I giving my life for what's the am I giving it for peace that's what Gandhi did that's what Martin Luther King did am I giving it for possibility opening to some other ways of being that don't show now. Rosa Parks did that. She said, there's more for all of us than me standing and going to the back of the bus 
So today I sit. And that was her her giving her life herself. And when the officer said, Madam, I'm going to have to arrest you if you don't stand and go to the back of the bus. She said without any fight or any rancor, she said, young man, do what you must. Today I sit. And so those are the, to me, the Rosa Parks moments are the moments where we each take a stand for what we say matters, knowing that our life depends on it and also knowing that we could die and that we will at some point anyway. So what am I giving my life for? It's a serious question. And I, Diane speaking, say I'm giving my life for love, for learning to see the face of the beloved everywhere, for cultivating myself in love. And when I say love, I don't mean a Pollyanna or a feel-good. I don't mean a pablum. I mean, we are no kidding, one. There's only one of us. We look like this. Seven and a half billion two-leggeds. And all the four-leggeds and the fins and the beak, all the other forms of being. Seven and a half billion two-leggeds. That's these human beings. That's us. What are we doing here? What are we giving our life for? And the only... I can't give your life. I can give my life. I am in charge of my joy, not yours. I'm in charge of my gratitude, not yours. You're in charge of yours. I can help you with yours. You can help me with mine. We can be medicine men and women for each other, helping each other live until we're not here anymore. In the old traditions, it was the ars moriendi and ars vivendi, arts of living and arts of dying that there are ways of living and ways of dying that we can help each other with so we can be peaceful in our endings and new beginnings. And and somebody just made the sound. Did you hear that? <laughs> that might be my son uh, reminding <laughs> me to pick him up from school. <laughs> that, that, that could be. And so, he's so, going to have to, for the sake of the children, he's going to have to wait for a second. <laughs> so, Sarah, here's what, I'm getting something that I'm happy about. I'm getting that this is really a wonderful thing that we've been doing for this last amount of time. And it's, it's a, a training ground for me. I'm really aware that I'm in training about speaking and how to do this because I really am a beginner and peacefully a beginner in being a poddling girl. With you. <laughs> So I'm a couple I'm, of poddlings yeah. out, out in, in space. It's true. Poddling girls together. But we're not in space because I can hear your voice and you can hear mine. And I'm yes. smiling, thinking about us being here, talking like this in these ways. And I think, Conley, you're all over the place. But you could actually, you're all over the place because there's only one place to be all over. The center of the universe is everywhere. <laughs> well, plus, so, I did say I did say I wanted to dump medicine words out on the bed and just roll around in it. So, yes, yes, you did. So, so you are um, we're doing as I asked, and and uh-huh. I I'm nervous. I don't think I've taken a breath this whole time. But you know, I I feel like this podcast is an act of radical vulnerability. Yes, I'm a, I'm a control freak about my own creative endeavors. This. Unless I spend ten hours ed- editing out every like and um, oh, yeah, yeah, which which I'm leaving on the table. I I'm not saying I'm not still a control freak, but I <laughs> I am I am grateful to be doing this with you. Yes, and you may think you're all over the place, but listen, um, oh gosh, I I feel like I need about three hours with you, uh-huh. and by the end of it, um. Sarah, guess what? 
What? This, what? this is, to me, the experience of the skydive. This is what I experienced in the skydive. 13,500 feet at the open door of that airplane before leaning forward to God's breath and saying yes to life. Giving my life to this to this air, this God's breath. This, and I did it as an honoring of the courage that it takes to live life, the courage that it takes to give our last breath. Because I'd just been with Bob and I was with Blaze, our son, and Jade, our daughter, and Susan, his wife, and I were with him when he took his last holy breath. And this holy breath is really what I'm, what we're doing right here, right now with each other. And it is naked, and it is vulnerable, and it is everything. It's saying, here I am, here I come, I'm yours, and you are mine. And so leaning forward into that air and the free fall and the free fall skydive like oh my god it's all a free fall all of it and i really got to know it by being there up there 13,500 feet at that edge it's really this body that air forward yes Is it seven and a half billion different hearts beating in seven and a half billion different places? But could you say, and would it matter if we said, it's one heart beating in seven and a half billion places? <laughs> that's that's way better. Yeah. And, well, so so, the, and that's why saying it to kids, and that's my book, uh, Alive and Awake, Wisdom for Kids. Um, the kids immediately get it. They get, oh, of course it would matter if we said it's one heart beating seven and a half billion places. And then that informs all the rest of my actions. Because then I remember, oh, I'm one with everybody. And I'm here to make my particular offerings from the great oneness, and so are you. And so then I'm listening. You know, Thich You remember the Thich little practice? Thich Nhat said, now, how do we remember the oneness? We don't look alike, we don't sound alike, we don't smell alike, and life is lived each of us uniquely. How do we remember the oneness? And so you take out your index finger and you point to the body you usually call yourself and say, I'm pointing to myself. And then you, and you look where you're pointing, the body you usually call yourself, pointing to myself. And then you move your finger to another body and say, I'm pointing to myself. You keep moving your finger, pointing to myself, look where you're pointing. In every single place that you're pointing, every single person, every single, every single place you're pointing is an expression of, oh, I'm pointing to myself. This too is myself. So it's a new definition of self. I actually found that really powerful in the book. I did that and it was yeah. actually almost unsettling. Yes, yes, because it's, because it is a new definition of self and, and the, the exciting thing to me is that if, if I remember, or as I remember the oneness, then I get fascinated because I go, wow, look at myself like this. I wonder how I got like this. And so it sees, as soon as we get fascinated, we're no longer in opposition. It's like, wow, I wonder how I got like this. I mean, like, it's, it's also one of the helpful things in the political scene right now because it's like, wow. Look at myself like this. I wonder how I don't like this. That's not to say that I like everything that I see, but it is to say that I'm not, therefore, making opposition to, oh, that's me versus them or me versus him. It's like, wow, this too is me. Wow, 
Now, how do I dance? Well, that's the question. That is the question. Mm-hmm. It's it's so oppositional, and it's so weird. No, no. So, see, that's what I would say. It's not oppositional. I, in the presence of the conversation, I add opposition. So it's first person present. It's, it, if I say it's oppositional, there's no driver in that statement. It's oppositional. If I say I add opposition, then there's a driver, and you could say I am opposing. And so then, then there's some space to actually design. Then I can say, is this opposition effective? What's an effective action? Is opposition an effective action? It's one of the things when Bob and I first set up the Institute, formerly known as Sophia, here in this country, one of the things we did at the very beginning, which was brilliant, was not to be in opposition to anything or anybody, simply to make our offerings. And simply to say, here's, here's what we're offering, in addition to all the other things that are already going on. So we didn't oppose doctors, we didn't oppose, you know, at the beginning, people weren't saying, oh, good, come on in, acupuncture, yeah. And <laughs> they would actually say, <laughs> they were actually very oppositional, many of them, folks who at the very beginning, but they were told nothing more could be done for them, so they would come as last resort. And then they didn't notice that some changes would start to happen in their body, so. And then they started to wake up to, wait, wait a minute. I came in with a headache, she put a needle in my foot. What is this? What is this body that I thought I knew? <laughs> well, how, what are the connections? How do we, what is the sound of one hand clapping? How do we think something other than what we've already thought all along and open up some new possibility? So the, the dance of the five is simply the, the dance of possibility. The, the, the wuxing, the five dance steps, the, the gifts of the seasons. You know, I think that you're so practiced at this language that, you know, it definitely is, does require a lot of, um, you know, yeah, yeah, repetition, because it's still even reminding me of it, but, you know, if someone's hearing it for the first time, you know, it's it's like, wait. That's that's your part, honey. Yeah. That's your part, is to actually hear, wait a minute, like, slow down, Conley. Yeah. Right there. Say those words again. And what do you mean by that? Yeah. And I, then I, Sarah, may have to speak only one word per breath. So we together can be in awe of his holy breath and the sound on breath that we're making meaning out of right now. Holy breath that I have now. I don't know when it will be called back. I don't know which is first, my death or tomorrow. Neither do you. So here we are, breathing and putting sound on breath Right now, in English, and there are 6,000 other ways of doing it, putting sound on breath to make meaning for this world that is deep mystery. So we can have a world and be medicine for one another, help each other live. How do I listen in such a way that Donald Trump becomes not an enemy, 
also a facet of the great oneness making some offerings. Can I hear offering? Do I have to kill him in order for him not to destroy me? What's my, what are the possibilities? This is, this is, this is sort of, um, stream of consciousness that I'm doing with you right now. I don't have anything formulated, but I just did find this poem. Oh, I really want to hear it. Wandering around an Albuquerque airport terminal. So let yourself be moved. Okay. After learning my flight was detained four hours, I heard the announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of gate 4A understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days. Gate 4A was my own gate. I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing loudly. Help, said the flight service person, talk to her. What is her problem? We told her the flight was going to be four hours late and she did this. I put my arm around her and spoke to her haltingly. Shadawa, Shibaduk Habibti, Stani, Stani Shwey, Minfadlik, Shobitsui. The minute she heard any words she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought our flight had been canceled entirely. She needed to be in El Paso for some major medical treatment the following day. I said, no, no, we're fine. You'll get there, just late. Who's picking you up? Let's call him and tell him. We called her son and I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother till we got on the plane and flew and would ride with her on the Southwest. She talked to him. Then she called her other sons just for the heck of it. Then we called my dad, and he and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, they had ten shared friends. Then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her? This all took about three hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling about her life, answering questions. She pulled a sack of homemade mamul cookies, little powdered sugar crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts out of her bag and was offering them to all the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined one. Mm. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the traveler from California, the lovely woman from Laredo, we were all covered in the same powdered sugar and smiling. There is no better cookies. And I noticed my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing with green furry leaves. Such an old country traveling tradition. Always carry a plant. Always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around the gate of late and weary ones and thought, this is the world I want to live in. The shared world. Not a single person in this gate once the crying of confusion stopped had seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all those other women too. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost.
Thank you for listening to the first episode of Packing for Crazy Town. That was the amazing Diane Connolly. And we're not finished with her because now that she's reawakened me to the beauty and power of five element theory, I want to talk to her again in a more organized, prescriptive way. One that begins with where we are now, moving from winter into spring. I'm Sarah Allen, and you can reach me at Hey Sarah, H E Y S A R A H, at packingforcrazytown.com. One last thing. Speaking of resources for staying present, balanced, conscious, and ready for anything, there's a website called thepowerpath.com. Even my least woo woo friends wait with bated breath every month for it to show up in their inbox. And it just showed up in mine for April, and I'm going to read you the first paragraph. The theme for April is intensity. It is a month of higher highs and lower lows. You can expect intense emotional mood swings, lots of weeping, incredible chaos that you think you can't handle, and then amazing synchronicity where everything falls into place. There will be bursts of energy as well as unexpected times of deep fatigue where you can't get out of bed. You may on one day experience overwhelming inspiration, incredible clarity, courage, and determination, and on another, debilitating despair, deep confusion, and paralyzing fear. Wabam! Crazy times. So if you aren't already a subscriber, do go to thepowerpath.com. You will not be disappointed. Thank you, and um, I hope you come back for episode number two, where we interview Shauna Home, shamanic therapist, um, author, poet, and basically Martha Stewart, if instead of going to prison, Martha Stewart had apprenticed with a mushroom shaman for a couple of years. I'll leave it at that. Thank you. <laughs>